the football pod with Paddy and Andy. But did anything go through your head at that moment? Was that you saying, right? That was me saying, this is the first time he puts the ball in the final, and thank God it did something half decent. <laughs> Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. Here we go, episode 23 of the Football Pod. Paddy and Andy are with me, and we've got some news for everyone at home this week that we can finally talk about. Andy Moran, congratulations on your appointment as football manager at Leitrim. Congrats. How does it feel to be able to talk about it finally? Yeah, no, it's good. It's uh, been a mad week, mad week, and um, it's it's just nice to, to, to be able to say or know a destination where you're going next year. I've talked to all the lads, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's nice. Paddy, it was a difficult few days for us. We had to sign a, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, over the last couple of days to make sure we kept quiet about it. Very difficult for us for those couple of days. Um, how does it feel that you're, you're like Andy Moore and your co-host has now branched off to become a manager? I feel a little bit cheated. A little bit deserted. <laughs> We've been left in the lurch. We, we had a long-term contract signed and he's been poached. I can't believe it. Leitrim County Board have a lot to answer for, I have to say. And now we um, we... Uh, we kind of were touching on it last week and then obviously it came out like so. Delighted for you, Andy. I know you're, you can see your passion from day one for coaching and, and, and managing it for the game on the pod for, from the first time we spoke. When was the first pod, Tommy? Jeez, it, must it was May. It was the 12th May. of May, Paddy. I've never, I've it never was forget. It like five years ago with COVID and everything. But uh, delighted for you, Andy. I'll be down in Carrick and Shannon now for the first National League game next year. I, I remember the first Recording pod. live for off the ball. I remember my shock at the first pod to actually see somebody that, or meet somebody that is talk, that talks more than me. And that is the great Patrick. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was an interesting May, May afternoon. I think we were sitting there. We did it. We used to do it during the day then. It's, uh, I remember our first production call and it was like, we'll try and keep these pods to. 40 to 45 minutes. That's that's the, the peak peak number we can do. I don't Stop talking about it as if it's over, lad. Stop talking about it as if it's over. It's not over yet. No, hold on. Wait, 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 go. Final countdown. Negotiations with Jenny here. It's not all over yet, okay? Everyone relax. Jenny's right. going to replace Andy on the pod. I think the best tweet under was, don't worry. Uh, she goes, Jenny will do the management. Andy will be still on the pod. So. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I, I think that was the best tweet, you know. But no, no, Tommy, all joking aside. Talk to us. Talk to us about uh, it. Come on. Absolutely delighted. Um, it was just, it just felt right. I, I suppose I had a lot of communication with John, o, uh, John O'Mahony. Who, how did it come about, Andy? So tell us, tell us how it came about first off. How does this work? How does it work? Tapped up. <laughs> what did you say, buddy? It was tapped up. Out of his yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was. It was um, yeah, it was. It, listen, over the last couple of weeks, there's been various phone calls floating around, different. But different, I suppose, teams talking. With, but the, the one that felt right, honestly, and the one that felt right for me, both uh, just w- with everything, my family life, uh, my working life, um, where Lee Tremere, where I'm at. Like, if you think about this, I'm a young coach. I, I make no no, uh, no bones about it. I'm young. I'm inexperienced. Um, I'm getting a team which are... You're willing to kind of do whatever it takes to improve and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to improve there'll be an absolute loads of mistakes along the way there'll be but the, the key thing is that you're learning and you're having fun and along the way I, I think the two both me and my management team and the, the, the players that are there I think we complement each other quite well and we're willing to kind of go on a bit of a journey together and see, see where it takes us so very positive feedback so far the, the, the last couple of days have been been very interesting um, have you met the have you met the group have you met some of the players 
No, I just met some of the, the leadership group uh, that, that they were originally, that were talking to the county board, met them, very, very, very good people. Um, I had a lot of communication actually from college teams since to compliment the, the, the players that are there and to reassure me that these players are actually really good players if they're given the right platform. And my job then is to win and just give them the right platform and see can, they, see can we push it on a bit. But um, talk to all the players on the phone over the last couple of days and... Uh, yeah, no, that was very interesting. And listen, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really good twenty twenty two, and uh, can't wait to get training. It must be very very exciting to be looking ahead to that because you've you've got a management team there with you now. I know Michael Solon's with you. He's he's working with you in the club at the minute. And no surprise, you went back to your college days and you dug out two of your former uh, collegiate mates. Range to choose from, like Barry McQueenie and James Vancey. That's that's two two men who've been involved in Leitrim football for a long time as well. Yeah, so McGuini Barry would be um, would have been a serious footballer in his own right. It was uh, he won a Sigerson All Star in two thousand and five? Um, like a gifted player, very good centre half back, played for Leitrim for years. Knows Leitrim football inside out. James Clancy then is is um, he's a guy that will question you. Um, what I didn't want was to go in and for Joe you know, when you've big per- when you've a big personality which. I am, if I'm being honest, right, in there. You want, so if, if you just go in and everyone is saying yes to you all the time, I don't think that's good. James mm. Clancy, anyone that knows him from Ballymun, he was there for a couple of years. Anyone that knows him from Manor Hamilton, Leitrim, he will question you. He's already questioned, you know, so it's, um, it's brilliant. So that's a, a nice compliment. Obviously, I know Mike. I've done a lot of work with Mike. Uh, we grew up together. We did the under-20s together. We're doing the club together now at the minute. So that, that was a natural kind of... Uh, Lincoln, but all the rest of the guys that are going to be around at strength and conditioning, psychology, nutrition are all going to be kind of key to push to push the group forward. We sat together in Castlebar that day back in in June, and it yeah. was a it was a tough day for Leitrim, and we sat up in the in the stands watching it. It wasn't easy to watch. Was there conversations going on at that stage? Do you have it in the back of your head that you might be sitting there with those lads at some stage that there was a possibility? No, absolutely not. That wasn't. I actually talked to James Clancy straight after the game when we were waiting in the stand. So after the game, for people that don't know, you leave us, myself and Paddy, and you go down and interview the managers and then come back and we do the, the kind of final recall. And when I was waiting for you, I actually talked to James Clancy in the in the stand that night after the game. And mm. uh, we watched the old boys you know, running, training, doing, putting, getting in their meters. And uh, he was just talking me through some of the stuff. Did I think then that four or five months later that I'd be lead from football manager absolutely not but uh, I've looked back at the game uh, you look back at it in segments first 10 minutes really strong and then the, the physical power of Mayo will just pull away pull away pull away so is there a lot of work to do absolutely is Mayo the barometer for, for us moving forward absolutely not we, we start at the at the base and we try to work our way up and um, yeah that was a hard day but there was some there was some some in it, like it was 11, 12 points there of good stuff. Uh, if you compare what happened between, I suppose, Kerry and Cork, my only, Joe, there's not much difference there. And there, there is definitely room for improvement. You see them, uh, the performances of Joe, Mark Plunkett that day, playing mm. in the mid, middle of the field, really, really strong. Paddy Maguire and a few others around yeah, the place. You picked out, you'd actually picked out a few of them at the day as well. Or I'd listen yeah, back to our chat afterwards. And... Yeah, and it's funny the way it works out. I, I, I don't know what, how it led to then. It, it me being there mm. I, I don't know but um, we our, our town our connection I've often talked on the pod about John O'Mahony and we, we have a connection to uh, Leitrim through John O'Mahony um, 
And when it first came up, I was talking to Jono and he was giving me all the kind of compliments, how mad they're about the about their football, how you know how passionate they are. If you can get the people believing in the project that's going ahead, so my job for the next uh, couple of months is to 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 start that process off. Isn't that Andy? Like we touched on it obviously earlier on in a lot of these podcasts, but when the national league was on, we looked at at new managers going into counties and getting that bounce from the team. Like Enda McGinley with Antrim is an obvious example there where they're kind of in the doldrums and a guy comes in as an incredibly successful player, similar to yourself, Andy, and just gets the players confident, just gets guys wanting to play for Antrim again. You see what Mickey Hart did going into Loud. They've been kind of in the doldrums and they get promoted as well. New managers going in and bringing that breath of fresh air with them, and and all of a sudden you have these players. What we were talk, talking about it last week about Kildare, players want to be there. Then it, it, it's Andy Moran's our coach. You know that this kind of inspirational player out in Connacht for the last number of years. If you're a player there, you're, you're intrigued by that. You know, and that's I know that, that that's your idea that that you go in and, and give a boost to those guys with your personality and, and the energy you bring, and you've seen it this season with managers in, in Division Three and Division Four getting something out of them. So it is. I, I think it's great to see guys taking a chance, and the, you know what I mean. The people, many people have said it to me over the last couple of days, asking about the pod more than anything, but. Uh, which now, like Andy could have went, you, you know, Mayo, get, get involved in the back room, Mayo, or maybe under 20s or something like that. It, it's a risk going into, you know, you said it yourself, you're a relatively inexperienced senior coach going into a team that's probably struggled in the last couple of years. But that's how, how you learn. And that's, you know, the sky's the limit for, for what you guys can do. So it's great to see. It's, it's exciting to see, you know, even from looking from afar in, you know. But even in two things on that, Paddy, I think anyone that goes into a county team, no matter what uh, level it, it starts at, wants to be pushed. Because if you didn't want to be pushed, you just stay with your club. You exactly. play your bit of football and away you go. So they want to be pushed. And I think people, we forget that sometimes. So people want to be challenged. They don't want to be in their comfort zone. They want to be pushed out of the comfort zone. And that's when they feel the sense of achievement. So I think when you're talking about Andy McGinley there and Mickey Hart and all them guys, I think that's what they're probably created in there. Mm-hmm. And then secondly on it, I, I think the pathway for coaches now is the way that 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 I'm going. It's it's the the it's the way you get John. You go in and you get stuck in, and you you see are you are you good enough for this job? You know, I, I, and for me personally, it was like the Mayo thing is, is brilliant, but but I like I've been entrenched in it for like bad to get out. Yeah, but like I, I went in first when I was fifteen, sixteen years of age. Uh, no, let's be t- t- totally transparent here. I w- wasn't asked or answered to go into the Mayo squad their setup. I'm not saying I was, uh, but it was time for me to to get away, just to to get away and spread your wings, Andrew, as they say. I think so, Paddy, and kind of learn and you know, not know everyone. Like this, knowing everyone sometimes can be a, can be a, a, a weakness as well. No, Andy, it's taking you out of your comfort zone as well, I, and, and what I, you're going to ultimately try and do with the players and and push them on and, and start getting the best out of them and. Again, we go back to that thing. People have a pain in their necklace and so it's trying to maximise your potential. You know yeah. what I mean? And identifying well, what's going to be success for, for Leitrim this year, getting those players playing to potential and then and then see where that gets you from there. And mm. like I say, there's templates there from what's been achieved this year. Like I say, in counties like Antrim and Loud and things like that. And that's going to be the challenge. It's funny you mention Antrim because a couple of weeks before Leitrim got hockey by Mayo, they had ran Antrim so close in the league. They should have caught them. Um, they came back in the second half and 
we were looking at the team sheets between the Leitrim team that had played the previous year, Andy, and the Leitrim team that lined out against Mayo. There was a huge turnover that day. I'd say those Leitrim boys don't need a huge amount to be able to believe that they can perform better than they did the last day against Castlebar. But the one thing that I'd like to say about that that we said before back then was how long Leitrim had to wait until they came out again and played a game of football. Mayo were playing up until three weeks ago, yet the Leitrim footballers haven't played together since June. It's, yeah, it's a it's, it's huge disadvantage. And I think we, we, it's a nice place to, to move into the, the structures. But on Sunday week, actually, this day week, um, TG4 are showing the Leitrim County final. And I'm I'm hoping that the, the two teams show what's actually within the county. There's some... Are you double jabbing that day? Are you doing like punditry as well for a few quid as well? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Same for Carl on half time. Hey, I've There's plenty you do it. Hey, I've no couple of... after the game. I've no couple of... eggs in one. I've no couple of fuckle, Paddy. I'm out. Yeah, so it's... Plenty down Yeah, no, so I think they're going to they're going to show... Um, like and a, a genuinely like and not talking out of school here. Talk to all the guys this week. Mad keen to mad keen to go. Um, and it, it, it's it, like for me, I'm just delighted and kind of chuffed that a, a county board would take a risk on a on a rookie. And um, I've no, I, I don't have any problem saying that. Uh, I've had a long playing career, but your long playing career gets in, in the way of your coaching sometimes. So I'm starting. I'm starting, and uh, here we go. Really exciting, and I can imagine everyone in Leitrim football is really excited for what's on the horizon now. Let's talk about the structures briefly, Andy, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this because you're now looking at Congress in a week's time with an intercounty manager's hat in your head. An, inter- an intercounty team that are in Division 4 that haven't had more than maybe one or two championship games over the last 10, 15 years every summer. Um, do you know, like if you were to clock up, say, your intercounty appearances compared with, say, one of the leaders, uh, Emma Mulligan, for example, I can imagine that you've, Emma Mulligan might have to play for 20, 30 years until he actually be able to match the amount of games that you played in inter-county football championships. So when you're looking at the structures and the potentials out there, we'll say possibly proposal B, where you're guaranteed to have a Connacht championship round robin in the spring and then move into a league system where you're guaranteed seven championship games and then you do have the chance then to get into either the All-Ireland Championship or the Talchon Cup or to stick with the status quo where would you feel on that I think it's the proposal I don't think proposal B will get through in its current format I think it will get through but I think it will have to be adjusted slightly um, so you're kicking it back you think it could be kicked back a year or whenever no, I, don't think, I don't think so I think I think there'll be enough in, I think there'll be enough in it from what I'm hearing from around the, around the, like most counties want this I, I, and the northern lads we have to be respectful to the northern to the Ulster yeah. Council and Ulster Counties, they run a really good championship, really competitive championship. You, you got to understand where they're coming from. And I think if we do that and we help them out a tiny bit to, to get closer to where we need to get to, I think it'll make a big difference to this, you know? And I, I know there's a lot of them opposed to it. And listen, I, un, I understand because their championship, look at their championship last year, the league format, amazing games. But for a county like Leitrim to get that level of competition, through is would be just unbelievable. Like even to get yeah. So you've won game last year against Mayo. If you're a squad player on that, right? You're a squad player. You've done all the training like everybody else, and you can still only bring on five, six players. 
Like you play 21, you have a squad of 30. So the nine players there, they don't even get a game. Do you know what I'm saying? They don't like they don't even have a chance to get in a game because there's not that chance of someone getting injured, someone being out for a week, someone moving. If you seven games, that's the amount of players that get playing, the amount of advertising it could do for a game, the amount what it could do for counties like any county in Division 3 and Division 4 is absolutely huge. I do think there's a few obscurities in it, like if you're in Division 1, and just say you're a Monaghan, right? And sorry to all the Monaghan listeners, I'm just going to put you there because Cavan is in 4. But if you're a Monaghan and you finish in 7, you finish in 7th, and then you have an Ulster team like Cavan in Division 4 and they finished in 1st, you know, they're in and they're out. Do you know what I'm saying? That's. I, I think there's going to be a small few tweaks to it. But I think all in all, the proposal is really, really strong. And the main part of it is that there's games for mm. our best players to be playing at all times. Remember the uproar last year when, when myself and Paddy, when the, the National League final wasn't playing. And we were saying it's a marketing disaster. You have the two, the greatest team that has played would potentially, at the time, before the loss to Toronto, we were thinking... These could be the new kids on the block here now and they could win three or four over the next five, you know? And you could have them playing and it was pulled because of the championship. That's never going to happen now. Every, everyone in the GAA, everyone across Ireland wanted to see that match. Yeah. And that's the type of thing. And listen, I, I absolutely agree with Andy on this and, and it's, it, it's starting to get a bit heated on social media with people that I want proposal B and if someone says no, well then it's kind of People aren't really taking that on board. They're, they're, they're not happy with that. And I'd say the closer we get to Congress, people will be getting a little bit more and more feisty. Personally, I think proposal B, and you have to remember, over 80% of the players from the GPA have said, these are the guys on the ground playing the games. Over 80%, four-fifths of inter-county players have said they want to go with proposal B. I think proposal B is the best option. I totally accept that it's not perfect. And lads, if there was a perfect solution for this, it will be in place mm. without a doubt. It is not black and white. But I absolutely accept and agree with Andy that you can't just go in and say, I want proposal B and just, I'm not arsed listening to what. If you think proposal B isn't any use, well, I don't want to listen to it. There has to be empathy from both sides. I totally accept listening to Jim McGuinness during the summer on Sky, the Ulster Championship. We said it ourselves. We watched the provincial games. They were the only show in town for the first six weeks of the championship. The, the, the brilliant game with Derry and Donegal, uh, Donegal and Tyrone, and then the Ulster final. It is. A, they do have a, a far superior in, a provincial championship in, in the north, and you have to accept that. So I understand where there's probably a little bit of kickback to proposal B mm. up there, but I think you've got to be cognizant of both sides. But you have to remember that the players on the ground over four fifths want proposal B, and Andy's hit the nail on the head, guys. Like if you look at it, I watched you. You both, you guys were at that game, and I know it's, it's awkward, Andy, for you now as Leitrim manager, but. Leitrim Mayo was on the Sunday game. It was live, prime time. That game was, was I thought the straw that broke the camel's back. No, it did nothing for, for a TV audience. Social media was an uproar watching it. It did nothing for either set of players. It did nothing for advertising the game of Gaelic football. Literally every single stakeholder involved with Gaelic football was left shortchanged by that. And if we keep going down that road, there has to be change. There has to be. Is proposal B perfect? No, it's not. I agree with Andy's point. Yes, there's nuances there. If you finish sixth or seventh in Division One, 
you could on the flip side of that you could say well you better make sure you don't finish sixth or seventh and that you're getting seven games seven championship games it's not the National League you've seven championship games to go yes. and perform this is a peak season you're not playing in January and February in the muck and the Castle Bar my favourite stadium to go to and you're windswept rain soaked sludge fest you play the provincial championships they are still there in the springtime and Niall Morgan said his Ulster medal, if he won it under proposal B next year, it would mean as much to him as the Ulster medals he won in 17. They're still there. Paddy, I, I asked you about the provincial medals earlier this year. Did they mean much to you? And you as well had said that by the end of it, you were looking for all Ireland medals. Like, it is fair to say that. That, that, was, that, that was the cycle of our team. We kind of moved on. But you had won 13. You won 13, you won 13 provincial medals. I don't know. That's, it's not about me and, and it's not about Dublin side of things as well. I, I think you've got, the provincial championships are still there. You're still going to have the local of course, rivalries, of which course. are so important. The counties, Dublin can still play Mead. Mead can still play Kildare. These games all over Cork and Kerry. The provincial championships are still there. Hmm. So you're ticking that box to keep people happy on that side, but you're moving the league structure. Like I say, every player you ask them playing week in, week out, National League games. Imagine that in the height of summer. Absolutely. With TV audiences, competitive games. We said it awfully and loud. It was one of the standout games mm-hmm. in the Provincial Championship Series because it was two competitive teams against each other. You know, that, that's ultimately what you've got to have. And, and if you look, if you keep it the way it is, you're going to get these games, total, total mismatches that do nothing for anyone. And, nothing for the players, nothing for the supporters, nothing for the media, nothing for the coverage of the game. Proposal B, that's why it's getting so much airtime. Will it get through? We don't know. I, I understand. I think you've got to be, both sides have to be open-minded about this. What is for the ultimate better? There's going to be sacrifice from either side. Someone's got, people have to make sacrifices. If there was a perfect solution, it would be in place. But we've got to evolve the game. It's, it is broken. Mm, it is broken. And because, because we've had, you know, a brilliant end. There, there's no there's recency bias there. We've had a brilliant end to the championship with the semifinals and the final. We cannot forget where we were in May, June, July. It was the Euro, like I say, the Euros were on. There was everything you, else. You on. said it. You said I, but it. That, yeah. that's, that was, I wasn't watching a game. Like I watched that, that Leitrim Mayo game. That was just one example of it. And it's like, well, this is, this is not what Gaelic football is about. There's a better way to do this. There has to be a better way to do this. And I think proposal B at the minute is the best option on the table. We'll just see in, in two weeks' time if it's, if they're going to go down that road or not. It's hard to know, but I think the player's voice needs to be heard in this. Paddy, just just on that, just to re-emphasize one thing Paddy said, he goes, there's going to be seven championship games for every team in the height of the summer. Come on, like what? <laughs> that's it. Like, what? You know, that, that's what it. That's, like me and Paddy, retired players, like that's dream come true. So. And you're oh, on about winning. No training sessions. Oh, it's <laughs> unbelievable, Tommy. Like, like as a player there, you're going from week to week to week and you're tra- training and recovering. And then just on it, Lance, if you go back, and we said this in the pod earlier in the year too, if you go back to the noughties, and it wasn't perfect in the noughties, it was still a broken system in the noughties. But if you go back, right, and you look at it, and the way it used to be structured then was Division 1A and Division 1B, and you could have fallen to either one of those. It wasn't one and two. It was like you know, a mixture of both divisions, and then whoever finished it. Yeah. 
So we used to play the Limericks, the Fermanas, all these smaller counties. We used to play them right through, right? But what did you find in that? You get Fermanagh getting to an All-Ireland semi-final in 2004. You get Wexford getting to uh, All-Ireland semi-final. semi-final. National League final. Or National League. Did you get the National League? National League final against their man. Yeah, National League final. You get, remember Limerick against uh, Kerry down in, in the Gaelic grounds with Darrow Shea caught the ball over the bar. Nearly beat. Joe, so these guys are getting used of the pace of the game throughout the course of the league and championship. And you're on about the, the compound interest kind of thing. Yeah. That is the way counties will approve it. That's the, way you get the, that's the way you get the addiction to it. Just an example, right? Derry play me in a championship game next July on a Saturday evening in Park Talton. Live on television. Derry crowd come down. Beautiful weather. Absolute mobbed. Navin is hopping with supporters in July in a championship game. Stick with with the way it is and it's played on the last Sunday in January in horrendous conditions and there's about a thousand people at it. Players aren't fit. They're not ready to go. Supporters aren't really arsed. It's about minus three. Or you have that. You move it to the summer in this structure. Championship football. And even if it's division one, two, three, four, if there are games on there and to promote it properly, people will watch. Supporters will go. Galway against Offaly in Pierce Stadium on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon in June or July. I mean, these these are the options on the table. For yeah, him. yeah. And it'll be you know, like... It's a brave decision. Like the change, the structures, the GA is one of the most tra- traditional organisations there is. It takes a lot for people to change. Yeah. People have to make sacrifices. True. You've got to move at the time. Listen to what the players are asking for. Review, you know, cold-heartedly, objectively look at what has happened in the championship the last two or three years. It's on the a downward slope. It's not, it's not going up. It's going down. Yeah. Something yeah. needs to happen with it. Sticking with the status quo. Come on, I think we're better than that. We're better than that. That's all really strong stuff, Laz. And I think one of the positive things over the last couple of weeks is a lot of people are talking about it, which is very important before October 23rd. So we've had lots of voices on off the ball over the last couple of weeks and we'll have, we'll have plenty more. Will you ask that Derry Mead question to Rory Gallagher like you did there next week when he joins us on the football pod? Rory's going to be our I'd go myself. Guest. It's only up the road, like. I'd be yeah. interested in Well, game. you know what? I'll put it to you this way. I'm not interested in going to January. You could, no plan, you could plan your little staycation to the kingdom in June for Dublin's away game and you could go to Westport <laughs> and get <laughs> for their game in Castlebar. The Wild Atlantic Way, they need to link in with tourism. Yeah, they easily the could. And have the championship up and down that coast in June and July. Oh, what a week. You'd have a good week golfing and watching ball, wouldn't you? You absolutely would. We're going to come back to Congress once more next Andy, week. Andy, you'll have no fun. You'll, be, you'll have your head in the books, coaching. <laughs> Well, you have three in you for reviewing teams. We at this game. <laughs> if you trust my insight, God bless you. It, this is episode 23 of the Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. Hannah Tyrrell is our, is our special guest this week. She's got a fascinating story, a top class athlete, and a number of codes. And she's going to join us in the next couple of minutes. Does anyone want to ask me what the hell is going on in Mead football at the minute? We don't, we don't need to ask. You're going to tell us anyway. Like, I don't know what I can say because <laughs> he didn't even finish the question there he was gone go on <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much I can say because there's a vote happening tonight so it's Tuesday now when you're listening to the podcast and there's a vote happening tonight because Mead football has been thrown into disarray in the last week basically to cut a long story short 
Andy McEntee was given a three-year term in 2019, subject to a review at the end of his second season, which was this year. All fair enough. That review happened last Wednesday in October, and the county executive decided to have a a vote on the night um, to decide whether McEntee should stay on. The vote went 7-7. Then it went 8-7. So somebody who hadn't been at the meeting on the night, who hadn't appeared, actually put in his vote digitally. So it went 8-7 against McEntee staying on. Against? Against him staying on. So what's happening now is that it's going to a vote on Tuesday night where each club in the county gets a vote and the 16 executive members get a vote. So there's going to be 75 votes and... Basically, McAtee has said he, he wants to go to the vote. He's not going to resign, um, which I think was offered to him during the week. He's going to stay, aim to stay on. And thank, thankfully, he has aimed. And I, I do hope that the Mead clubs rectify the situation on, on Tuesday night. Because I'm not sure they're aware that the Mead County Board don't have a replacement lined up. This decision was made in October and there's no replacement lined up. There's no plan. Like, how 15 people what's, sit what's in a room in October? You know, and just... Have any of the players spoke? I know the main championship is obviously in, in full swing at the minute. On, it's gone on to the semi-final stage now. Yeah. What's the consensus amongst... Like, I, if you I don't look, think I'd be breaking privilege here to say that the players want McIntyre to stay on. Um, again, are like, people listening to the players? Do, do well, the I players think... have better insight than the, than the county executive? I think like, there's a bit of a freak performance in Newbridge where there's a bit of a row they get a couple of guys sent off a couple of injuries that goes Andy and Mead's way they're back into Division 1 I thought they made progress a big progress last year I thought they had a big performance against Dublin in the championship this year albeit okay the, the, the first half they struggled but they showed there was glimpses there you're, you're telling me that second half performance against Dublin those players were playing for Andy McIntyre they were playing for, for, for Mead getting that bite back the minor team are obviously having won the All-Ireland. The ladies team have won the All-Ireland. I would hope, I would imagine that there should be a feel-good factor in, in MJ, despite, like I say, the only real blip is probably the slip-up against, against Kildare and Newbridge that that's cost in the Division 1 status. But I think if the players are, are keen for Andy McAdee, I know Andy. Um, I'd have a lot of time for him. Um, and I know his passion for the job. I obviously know Jerry as well. And particularly, like, what? There's not even... If if the vote doesn't go for Andy, they don't even have a replacement lined up. So what? what come on. Like, what? Amateur error here. Like. Well, they, Do you know what I mean? And like I say, if, if, they're gonna, if, they, if they don't fancy Andy in the county board, when we're made out of the championship? July. Like, that, so that's, just, that's the incredibly frustrating waste three months. Waste three months then. It just shows it's just absolute... Like you, you, you've said it there, right? And like Nonsense. Mead football has started getting things right in the yes. last five or six years. We, we've seen so the minors coming through. Now with no plan. We've started winning, started winning minors, started winning under 20s. We've got good, good people involved. Uh, uh, there is good people involved at review level in the county that are working. We may have a vote of Congress next week. They're going for They do have a vote of Congress. I'm not sure what they're going with, right? But <laughs> oh, it's just God. so frustrating, lads. It's so frustrating that to see the incremental progress over the last five or six years. Mm. We got back to Division 1 football for the first time since 2007. Yes, we got beaten every game, but they were competitive in those games. Like, they're in a a provincial championship which has been dominated by, as you said, possibly the greatest team we've ever seen in Dublin over the last seven years. And they've had little chips and dents at them, regardless of not being able to get over the line. But there has been progress in Mead. And the thing that I don't get is that, why, why do it now, in October, when you've got 
a squad together and a management team together that are already planning for next year. They already have their programs for next year. They're already getting ready. We're in the, towards the latter end of the club championship. What use is it for any manager to come in to be shoehorned in and dropped into the middle of that situation? And also, if McEntee does get through, what does it say about the executive board that voted against them? That the players and the management are completely against what they voted for on an October I don't think they'd care, to be honest. No, I don't, I don't think they'd care either. I don't think you'd care either way. Yeah. Like, if, if what the players what are with him, he's focused on, and the players and the coach will be focused on. It's just frustrating. It's very frustrating to see that happen in, in a county like that. Yeah, I thought I, we were beyond that. Where I would find it uh, strange, where I'd find it strange, I played my second last game, sorry, against, no, third last game against Meade in Croker in 19. 19, yeah. And, uh, I, like I, I thought they were like really, really strong. I remember saying it to, to Mickey Newman coming off the field, saying, "John, like this, you could see that it was the start of something." And then they like the Colum Nally in there, don't they? Yeah. As a coach, they've Nile rolling then in as a SNC coach, and you can see the progress. Like it, and sometimes it takes four or five years to like that doesn't happen overnight. It didn't happen with Dublin overnight under Gilroy. No, you know, it happened over three seasons. It, t- it took them five to get there. And I think they're really kind of like you've seen in the second half against Dublin, their fitness level was strong. Their football skill was strong. The dummy solo for the goal. You know, you've seen that it was coming. So it is a strange decision, but I, I'm with Paddy here. I don't think Andy McIntyre, he, he doesn't strike me as a fan of the careless. If he gets voted in again, he'll just, they'll just keep going. They'll keep yeah. going, you know? Yeah. Um, like, as I said, like there's been a general manager appointed in the county in the last couple of weeks to help bridge that transition from minor yeah. to under twenties to senior, and it sounded like an incredibly important appointment in the county. And we know that there's a plan in place to possibly have some of that management team involved in two or three years down the line, but they're not there yet, and those players aren't there yet. It's yeah. just just killing a project at this stage. Like fair enough, if you have the review in June or July and you say right, it's not working, we're going to move on, do it then. Make your plan then and move on, lads. I've taken up enough of our time. You were done today. You were done, Tommy. Well, uh, but it might be all for nothing Don't because by the time the podcast comes out, <laughs> we, we'll know what's going to happen in Mead football. So he'll be, he'll be kept on. He'll be kept on on short. Hopefully, hopefully the clubs rectify the situation. So we'll wait and see on that one. You are listening to episode 23 of the Football Pod of Paddy and Andy. My name is Tommy and I just have my rant about Mead football and it's over. It's out of the way. You'll be... Really interested in this next piece. Hannah Tyrrell, Dublin footballer, former Irish rugby international, is joining us next in the pod. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. You're welcome back to episode 23 of the football pod with Paddy and Andy. And I am delighted to welcome our next guest to the show. Hannah Tyrrell, you're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Hannah, you've got an incredibly interesting sporting background. An Irish rugby international for the last six or seven years. You've played soccer and won a... An FEI Women's Cup and you, you played in the WNL in the first season with Rovers back in 2011 and 12. You're also a, a Dublin footballer, which is the reason you're on the football pod with us this week. Um, but you've had two acts to your Dublin career. You had the goalkeeping days in the early days in 2010s and then you're back after a sabbatical, a professional sabbatical with the Irish rugby team as a forward this year. So we might just jump in to this year and April okay. of this year with the Irish rugby team. You retired as a rugby player. Can you talk to us about that? How did that come about? Um, yeah, I suppose COVID had a big part to play in in my retirement or my decision to retire. Um, we were meant to play in the Rugby World Cup, which was meant to be on, uh, I think actually it was meant to start yesterday. Um, and unfortunately, COVID got um, 
got that postponed by a year. And for me, I'd always planned on retiring after that World Cup if we had made it uh, with the Irish team. And when COVID pushed it back um, a year, and I think we found out it was probably in February or March, we found out it was being postponed. For me, I kind of had to sit down with my now wife and and um, discuss kind of the implications that would have for, for us and, you know, as a family and all the plans that we had made, you know, were what we were hoping to do for post-World Cup and post-retirement. And um, for me, like playing with Irish rugby for the last number of years was incredible, but it was very time-consuming. And, you know, it's an amateur sport, and, you know, you're working Monday to Friday and then for the most part, you're in camp all weekend from Friday to Sunday, not seeing anybody else. And that takes its toll. And I had to think about, can I do that and give that commitment for the next 18 months or so, you know, to get to that World Cup? And at the end of the day, the answer was no. And, um, you know, I had a lot of commitments. I had um, plans I wanted to do and I really wanted to start focusing on my my job, my career as a teacher, because I got into that late again, partly because I had been with Irish rugby in the seventh team, you know. So for me, I decided I'd play the Six Nations and see how I felt afterwards and make that decision. And I went into that Italy game, um, which was the last game for us in Six Nations, knowing that this potentially could be my last game and to enjoy it. And when the game ended, I was in floods of tears, even though we won and you know, I took a couple of weeks after that to to ponder my decision, but that kind of just sat with me that it felt right, that something inside me knew that was the end for me. And I was very happy to for it to end that way. You know, things would have been different had the World Cup been played this year, would I have stayed on? Absolutely. But it's not to be. And, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm very proud of the rugby career I had. Never in a million years did I think I'd ever pick up a rugby ball, let alone play for Ireland, you know, in the two codes and go to World Cups and stuff. So, that, yeah, it, it's it's been something else, you know. Like, and I, I'm going to circle back to the end of your rugby career in a moment, but let's go to the start because I couldn't believe it. Like, so just for anyone who, who's listening in and may not be fully aware of your story, you played a lot of football underage with Dublin. Yeah. Um, you won an under-16 uh, All-Ireland. You won a minor All-Ireland beating Cork in both of those games. You came into the senior panel and you're in and around the, the senior team around that time as well. You played a bit of soccer. I think you played a bit of soccer in college. And in 2013-14, you decided to pick up a rugby ball for the first yeah. time. And six six months later, you're a professional athlete. Yeah, look, it is a bit unbelievable, I suppose, and incredible. Um, but I suppose at the time women's rugby in Ireland wasn't very big. There wasn't a very big player pool and um, they were always, particularly the, the rugby seven side of things, were always looking for talent outside of of the rugby playing pool. But a, a friend of mine who I knew through GAA and who was trying to break into the Irish squad herself mentioned to me that, you know, like rugby sevens is is coming into the Olympics and Ireland will, you know, have opportunities there and that you should come out and play a bit of rugby and I just went down to club training in Old Belvedere one night because I was going to UCD and I knew a few people there and I fell in love with it. And the first year, actually, um, Old Belvedere were stacked with Irish internationals. So I actually played with the second team um, for the whole season and didn't really have a clue what I was doing, just running away from people and, <laughs> you know, trying to tackle everything and anything, but yeah. not really like much Andy's technique. Yeah, like Andy's nail career there. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, you know, and yeah, I like I played the league there and then, you know, February came and um, Dublin came calling again and I ended up back in goal with them for the league campaign and we've reached the league final. But a couple of weeks before that, I got a random phone call midweek one time from a guy called Stan McDell, who was like the talent ID coach asking me to come in and give give sevens a go and come into their setup and I hadn't a clue what I was doing in there but something obviously showed because they offered me a contract and it was just an opportunity I couldn't turn down and and like it led to an incredible journey over the next couple of years like you travelled the world as a professional athlete yeah like it's absolutely mad you know for me it was that opportunity like it was the reason why I, I took it you know I, I was going to be able to travel the world you know get paid for it because it was an Olympic sport and play for my country potentially play in the Olympics and growing up you know I was soccer mad growing up and that was never really a thing for girls and young girls and women to be able to go off and play professional it was very very rare back mm-hmm. then and like for me to have this opportunity was a bit of a no brainer you know so I thought it'd be a year for a year or two um, until maybe after 2016 Olympics and sure, sure here we are in 2021 and I'm, <laughs> I'm just finished. So, you know, it's, it's been crazy. Like, yeah, it's, it's just mad to think back on it and all that I've achieved in that sport that I genuinely never thought I'd ever play. And just moving into that, Hannah, um, <laughs> like then you go, when you do like get to the 15, you end up playing 10 and 15. Now, for a person that doesn't know very much about rugby, like they seem to be the positions where you need to have such an understanding of what's going on positioning-wise, where you need to be. How did you make, like that's even nearly even a bigger transition from going from zero to playing, to playing, to being the main player on the team. How, how, how did that come about? Yeah, so always, I'd been playing sevens for the majority of my time there, but I did jump back and forth into the 15s team when when the schedule allowed, but I was mainly a winger and a fullback um, because I was quite fast. Um, but I suppose it kind of Adam Griggs came along and uh, I had played 10 for him years ago with Leinster um, because Nora Stapleton, uh, the then Irish uh, out half, got an injury um, and he had kind of asked me to play there and I played there for, I think it was like three games and he kind of mentioned me, you know, I think we're looking at moving you to 10, about a year. This was kind of just before COVID hit. So, you know, end of 2019, he was like, we're looking at you for the next season for, for playing 10. Um, it'll take a bit of adjustment and it, it took a lot of adjustment but it was just something he, he kind of floated to me and I I felt like I had the confidence to try it I suppose part of the reason probably was because we had a pretty stacked back three you know the rise of Bavin Parsons Emer Constance being a, a long term uh, standout there you know I always knew Emily Murphy Crow would start to shine in 15s once she got her chance so I'm guessing you know Griggsy himself knew that he couldn't fit us all there. So he had to make some changes and 10 was a position that needed filling. And, you know, with me potentially coming over to 15s long-term after I was finishing with sevens, he, you know, he had a gap to fill and, and I was the one to step up. And your kicking ability would have obviously helped you as well, you know? Yeah, look, I, I for me, and um, most people probably wouldn't agree, but for me, kicking is my favourite part of the whole game. And um, I absolutely love kicking off the tee, kicking out of hand, and I was constantly practicing it. And and um, yeah, it absolutely helped. And um, you know, uh, I've probably gotten in trouble a few times for my GAA style kicking in rugby. They do not go hand in hand, but you know, it works for me sometimes. <laughs> when, when when did that part of the game click with you? When like? Wh- 
So at what stage does it click with you? You're like, right, I've, I've, I'm getting there like with the kick and I'm, I've mastered it. Because you have gone from zero to being a professional so quickly. Yeah, like in sevens, it, it takes a while because in sevens, it's very, very rare to kick, particularly the way the Ireland team play. Like we never kicked away. Mm. Possession is way too valuable. But for me, it was always an opportunity. There's so much space back there. Like, you know, and like you strike a rugby ball nice and sweetly, it's going to bounce perfectly for you. And I just, for me, it's always afforded me many opportunities. You know, I've been playing club there the last couple of weeks and there's nothing nicer than a little chip in behind or, a, you know, a, a kick cross field and, and somebody catches it like hand in hand. It's it's very like just passing to a teammate in GAA, like, you know, and I think for some people it never comes into their head, but I think with me, with my GAA background, kicking element is a big thing and I'm always looking for it. Probably give it away all my all my secrets <laughs> for the next club game, but sure look. Hannah, could we, like in terms of, you get the sense even from listening to you, it's, it was such a massive decision with the timing of the World Cup that the World Cup is obviously the, the, the pinnacle f- for you guys and having to wait another 18 months, you know, it's such a long time. Like say you, you and your wife and, and your career, you have so much plans and I get the sense it was a really, really difficult decision to, to kind of say, like you finished the Six Nations and it's like, can I do this for another, what, 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 what turns out, what probably 18 months. Was it at that time, were you thinking, there's an opening that I may go back and end up playing GAA with Dublin. Did that help soften the blow or was it solely, you know, kind of a, a, a personal life decision that, or did GAA come into it even at that point? Did that make it easier to kind of step away saying, well, I might be able to join this brilliant Dublin team at the minute who are going for their own bit of history in terms of the five in a row. Did that come into play at that time? And um, Like not at that time. It definitely wasn't in my decision to retire, but like I had been playing GA and I had even throughout my years with rugby and uh, myself and Lindsay Pete would always be joking and messing around and wearing our dumb jerseys to, to Ireland training and stuff like that. And I always had plans or maybe not plans, but ambitions to get back to Dublin one yeah. day, you know, whether that would happen or not, I really didn't know. But when COVID hit um, in March, 2020 and rugby was stood down for a very long time, Club GA started back up and I, I went and started playing with Nafina GA, which are yeah, my yeah. now local club. And I had the best fun, um, you know, playing club football with no worries, no stress, no nothing going on. And absolutely fell in love with the game all over again. And it'd been such a long time since I played, you know, and such a long time since I'd played without there being any stress or any pressure yeah. or anything like that. And, Absolutely loved it. And I ran into Mick Bowen in, in a a gym shop. I think it was like that October or something like that. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Mick. Yeah, yeah really like, randomly. And he was like, oh, I've been meaning to get on to you. And I was like, well, I do have a phone. You could have just rang. You know, <laughs> like, it sounds like you've got her. Yeah. Like, got to ring it. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and uh, but he was like very keen for me to come into the setup and give me an opportunity, you know, and... Yeah. I suppose that probably ignited something in me like, oh, geez, yeah, I'd love to come back in, but I obviously have commitments. And I did say to him, look, I'm planning on retiring after the World Cup. And um, so if you're still around and, and you still want me by then, like, you know, I'll happily come in and give it a go. But I said to him, that could be a full year from now. You know, yeah. it, it mightn't be a couple of weeks. Our qualifiers were then meant to be in December um, and I was like look if we don't qualify in December like sure I'll be I'll be out in the February but again it could be a whole year like I'm thinking and he was grand with that and he left me off and whatever else and then 
um, I, I just was, I was playing a bit of, like club football again, just the odd training here and there, but I was fully flat out with, with, um, with the rugby and planning on playing a bit of club then this summer yeah. again. And when the retirement came in, I was like, geez, I'll potentially have a free summer here if what you know, I, do? <laughs> I take this route, you know, and I'd like, it'd be great to play a bit of club football, but I thought it might be too late for Dublin. I like, yeah. you know, because they usually start much earlier, but with the league and all that being postponed with COVID, mm. that gave me a huge opportunity. And I rang up Mick and the rest is history, I suppose. And here we are, like, you know, and I loved it. I loved everything. I'm intrigued, kind of, and kind of, you kind of finished, you played with Dublin earlier on where they... They were kind of competing for all Ireland, but but they obviously got over the line in 2010, and they did a bit of heartbreak against that brilliant Cork team. Then you step away for seven years from from the inter ladies inter county game, yeah. And the strides that the game has made, and and I would say Mick would have been a big part with with the Dublin ladies team. And you look at the final this year and heartbreak of for us losing that game and fair play Tommy's delighted with me <laughs> but, the, but the quality of the game the skill levels the, everything about it it's a, just a brilliant brilliant game what, is there a massive difference did you feel when you went back in with the girls at the start of the summer having been there before kind of thinking oh look and obviously with your professional athlete background that gives you a bit of confidence going in back in with the team how big a difference was it or how did you just settle no one knew you probably just settled in in the first week did you uh, <laughs> you were, well, you I don't you know how confident, yeah. I, was confident I was like yeah yeah look um, for me I suppose when I went in thankfully there was still a couple of the girls that I had yeah. played with in 2014 you know the Lindsay Davies Sinead Ahern um, Neve McAvoy and all them Goldie were still all around which was great but the very first night I strolled in and I was like oh, what am I getting myself in for you know Mick had just said come on down be grand be grand and I walked into a one kilometre fitness test and I couldn't ah, believe it was like you know and I was like surely I'm not going to have to do I made wrong just decision. started and Mick was like in you go off you go like no rest or, you know, nothing like, and I was like, here we go. But yeah, look, to be honest, we're actually training in the same facilities up in, um, where we were in 2014. So like, that was actually like quite nice and having that routine. And I knew exactly where I was going and what to be doing. But I think the biggest change, and you mentioned it there, it's the skill level across the board, not just in our team, you know, Across the board, there are just players coming like out of the woodwork with this insane talent and ability. You know, and you had players before, don't get me wrong, like that were incredibly, incredibly talented. But in terms of just the general skill, the, I think the biggest thing that has improved is the kicking, you know, and, and the women's. And it's a big thing that Mick has pushed for um, with our team. Obviously, you can move the ball a lot quicker and play at a much higher tempo, you know, but your kicking has to be accurate and it's a little bit more of a risky game. But I, I just think the reading of the game and the game awareness has massively improved. That little bit of bump and physicality has been really good for the game. I think it's made some great watching when it's when it's refed correctly or, you know, kind of allowed to flow a little bit. But Brilliant game, yeah. Yeah, like for me with Dublin, like we always had pretty good setups and stuff like that. But just this year it was a level above, like we had every single thing we could ever need, you know. And But what I loved about it the most was that we still really stayed true to that amateur side of things. You know, we were 
still able to go off and enjoy ourselves and relax a little bit and, and have a joke and have a laugh. But then we were serious when we needed to. And yeah. while like it was really intense and training and stuff, it never for me was stressful. It was really, really enjoyable. And I just, I, I honestly just loved it from that very, very first training session. Cause my first training session, like I actually said to Mick, like, I'm not sure I'm going to get on here. Like, I don't know if you're going to want me for the summer, you know, like, I, like, I don't know what's going on here. I wasn't in the setup. I was just kind of giving it a go. So I was really nervous and afraid of what the girls are going to think and how I was actually going to be compared to these girls who had played it for like, you know, literally week in, week out for the last few years. And I hadn't kicked the ball in six plus years. Like, you know, you did so. our right hand in the end. You lit up, you lit up the summer. Well, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Hannah, on that, right. So you go back in, I remember Gavin Duffy joined us in 2014, ex-Irish fullback, Connacht fullback. And I remember he joined us and I remember him just commenting on the fitness levels and not like that we were insanely fit around them, but just the transfer between rugby to Gaelic football. And we had Conor McKenna last week who played Australian rules and he came back and the way he described Australian rules then into Gaelic football. And he even said, I think, lads, that he's not at his peak fitness level yet where he can go further. Did you find a... It is strange transfer, just the way the game does be played. Did you find that that difficult when you came back in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like when you hit a Dublin setup, like there's no let, let up from anyone. Like, you know, and we, we we play a lot of challenge games between ourselves, you know, this huge competition. And I kept getting caught out when the ball went out of play. Because like for me in rugby, it's a, you turn around, you set up what you're doing, either in attack or defense, and you're, you've a, you know, 30 seconds, a minute or so. But in GA, the ball's in within about five seconds. And I was literally caught every single time for the first probably two or three weeks. And I'd say Mick was like, what? <laughs> here, like with her? Because I was just getting, yeah. like I was well able to play when I was there. But those kind of little lapses were constantly happening because I just wasn't used to it kind of again. And the quick kickouts and stuff like that, like nothing really happens quickly in rugby when the ball goes out of play. So you have a bit of time, but in GA, you didn't. And, I was I was caught out a few times and given a bit of a, a given out to and all that sort of stuff and you know there was no easing me into it and that sort of thing you know and where did where did you finish in that one K test I want to know. Uh, not first anyway, but not last. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the pack, Hannah. Yeah, I, was, I was up there, but I wasn't. You're preaching to the choir here, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but Hannah, on that point, and it was I thought it was fascinating because you you touched on it, Andy, on Conor McKenna last week, and what we or kind of would have watched him closely uh, throughout the championship for Tyrone. And he would have had this, there's just this assumption that if you're coming from a professional background, you're, you're going to be top of the pops. You know, for you coming from rugby, Hannah, for, for, for Connor himself coming from, from Australian rules, really physical games. Like, but the GAA over the last, even from when me and you started, Andy, you started a little bit before me now, but, but from, from from our generation, Gaelic football has now just become a game of continuous movement. Yeah. Like like me and you both, we'd be hiding away in the full forward line, Andy, and, and maybe 10 years ago, it would be that kickouts were, were slowed down and they were bombed out long. It didn't really impact the full back of the full forward line. Then, then Clucko comes along and, and all of a sudden they're gone in two seconds. That brings the full forward and the full backs into it. Then this kind of just up and down the pitch, the blanket defence playing against that. All of a sudden, like it used to be the midfielders and the half backs, they used to do all the running, the half forwards. Now, over the last five or 10 years, Gaelic football 
has just become a game where for 70 minutes, no matter really where you are on the pitch, like Tyrone are an obvious example of the way they play. And you look at the, the, the Dublin Mead game, Hannah, and, you know, your role in that final and Vicky Wall for me, just up and down the pitch, it's, it, it's one of the most, must be one of the most physically demanding sports, you know, and even though it's still amateur and, and, and guys coming in from soccer or, or rugby or, or, or Aussie rules coming in, it does take time to adapt because the physical demands playing in Crow Park for 70, it's, it, it is, it's so, so difficult. It's just it's interesting to hear professional athletes even coming and saying, yeah, it takes time to adapt yeah. to that. Yeah, no, look, I definitely agree. It definitely took me a couple of weeks to kind of get used to it and kind of get back into what I would have felt was my kind of natural way of playing again and making the right decisions with regards to that and stuff. But um, yeah, look, the fitness element of it is is incredible and it's you know, particularly the way teams play, as you said, you know, there's no more like forwards are just forwards and backs are just backs. There's complete interchange. Um, hey, Andy, it's you are. Man, if that was the case. <laughs> That's why you retired. Yeah, we just dragged the arse out of another two or three years. Like. <laughs> you know, Hannah, you were saying that you, you had a free summer there and you were wondering what you were going to do. Paddy Andrews can give you good direction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a travel agent now, Hannah. <laughs> it was my first year out. It's great. Loving it. I can't believe I stayed on so long. Yeah, but like, yeah, look, it's just um, the fitness levels are incredible. Um, and you, just, I think to be able to get up and down is one thing, but to be able to get up and down the pitch and then still, you know, have an end product at the end of it or be able to put in that tackle or that pass or that finish and stuff like that is just, it's great to see. And as you said, like Meads were the best team at it this year like I couldn't I couldn't believe how good how good they were at just all of them getting up and back and up and back and you know some say it's because they had a youthful team and this that and the other but it's it was their drive and their determination to stick to their system and you know and the belief that that system will get them over the line and it was a bit surreal on the day but you know they were incredible at it and they're you know it, it was while I said it was heartbreaking for me and for the team, it's great for women's football to to see that happen and to see you know there you always have a chance. Doesn't matter, like you know, doesn't matter who you are, whatever people are saying, you know, and that's the beauty of football that you know you can't win it till you play it, you know. Yeah, and the, like the, the mead. The Mead team are obviously an example um, when we're looking at the structures at the minute in Gaelic football, coming from intermediate the previous year and moving on to, to winning it. So I think a lot of people have spoken about how well the LGFA structures have worked over the last couple of years in terms of bringing a couple of teams on. So that's that's really interesting to hear that, that how relentless Mead were in that final that you were nearly, I suppose, surprised a little bit in a way as well. Um, like in that second half, it felt like as a Mead fan that okay, Mead. They Look, kick, I think his face, kicked two points. <laughs> you, you just wound them up, man. Cry over here, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we put them on mute there for a few it, minutes. It did feel, it did feel like you guys could catch them with a goal in that second half because I, I know Mead only kicked maybe two points in the second half, and it felt like you were you were getting close and you were chipping away at that lead the whole time. Uh, you obviously came very close with it. A goal was it? That was your goal chance as well that Monica McGurk saved. Yeah, I should have put it lower. Okay. <laughs> Hannah's after giving us her time to come on as a guest. And you're I five points, I think, from play, and then you unbelievable game. Like. Don't worry, it haunts me every day. I won't make that mistake next year. Sorry, I'm sorry for bringing it back <laughs> up. Winning all Ireland is, is obviously on in your mind. It's in your heart, like in your head. Like you, you missed the four in a row. 
the driver for five was on this year. So that, that must be a big driving force for you next year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, obviously, I I knew I always wanted to go back to Dublin. I always wanted to get a senior All-Ireland. It's a bit of a grievance. My wife actually has a senior All-Ireland. And so she won in 2010 um, okay. with the team. So uh, that's the the one thing I'd like. Not just because she has it, but, you know, yeah. it's yeah, Obviously, exactly. I grew up playing games football, playing with Dublin. You know, I have all the other ones. I have all the underage ones. I just don't have a senior one. And yeah, look, I wish it had been this year. It would have been a dream year for me, but uh, Mead were well worth their win. And yeah. that is going to really drive me for next year. And uh, to be honest, I wish Dublin started tomorrow because like, I literally wanted the day after the final. I was like, can we just start the, the season for next year? Because I just want to go again. Like, you know, I, I loved every minute of it. You can't, you'd like that. That's, that's class to hear. Can I, can I bring you back to the start? Because I know we've dragged you away from the NFL tonight. You were watching <laughs> it earlier on. It, uh, we're recording here on Sunday evening. I mentioned briefly your background in soccer. You, you said that soccer was nearly your first love. You played Gaelic football as a kid growing up. You were a professional rugby player. Where did the obsession with sports start for you? Um, I started playing sports um, basically out on the road. Like I was always a bit of a tomboy and my two best friends were boys and we were always just kind of kicking the football around and messing and whatever else. And our local team, Monksfield United, like they, I actually think they just started up a team for all the youngsters on the road and started a team when I was about six or seven and I, the, the lads were going down to play. So I went down to play. Like, to be honest, like I was absolutely useless, like really, really bad. Um, you were stuck in goals by this under six. No, no, <laughs> no, like I, I played outfield I, for, for soccer. I played outfield, but I was useless. Like, and I only looking back did I ever figure that the coaches were like, you're, you're going to be our super sub here, you know, like, and we're going to put you on and you're going to change the game. And only years later was I like, this is so crap. Like, that, you know, they didn't want to put me on. They used to say to me on the road, Paddy, they used to say, Oh, you're the best keeper. In other words, you're going yeah. and going. Yeah. <laughs> I was never yeah. the best keeper. Yeah, wow. but like so I started there, like, and I loved it. And I just kept practicing, you know, I was always practicing keep you up because I always had a ball and I ended up actually ended up being decent little um left back for, for my team, you know, and loved it. And I was the only girl on the team and I was just one of the lads basically and, and loved playing soccer and I didn't pick up a GA ball till I started secondary school and I was about 12 or 13 um, and I kind of moved up closer in the village in Clondalkin and and played, went from there like. It's funny you mentioned earlier that the routes to professional sports I think back in 2014 weren't as possibly as, as big as they are now like look, look at the AFLW look at yeah. I suppose rugby at the minute soccer at the minute in Ireland but from listening to you there the routes to any kind of sport as a young girl at that age didn't seem like there was much happening no like sure as I said I didn't none of the other girls in the road were out playing football with me like you know and um, it was just I was the only girl I never I, I don't really remember even playing against girls on the other teams either like and when I was about 12 or so I, I had to leave the boys team and find a girls team basically but there was no team in the area like and that's how I ended up actually falling into GAA because there was no girls soccer team and I went to secondary school hoping there was a, a soccer team there and there wasn't there was a GA team so I joined that and from there ended up in round towers like and I don't know would I have picked up GA along the way if I had a stayed with a soccer team or found a soccer team maybe I would like to think so but you never know like for me you know I grew up 
watching Roy Keane play and you know it was always just men's football and didn't even really know that the Irish women had a soccer team you know let alone the Irish women's rugby team was going like and the only woman that I remember watching on TV and stuff like that growing up was in athletics with Sonia O'Sullivan and I absolutely idolised her but I couldn't emulate what she was doing so you know Were you you immediately good at Gaelic football? Um, Yes it's funny yeah. because myself and Paddy would have played soccer a lot as young people and we've kind of said this about the cross sports and how they help each other and like you've already kind of touched on it with the rugby and being a good kicker and bringing the Gaelic football into that but it's funny that you played soccer until you were about 12 straight into Gaelic football and it helps you um, so I, I find that like so like would you be encouraging young kids and we probably know the answer to, to cross the sports like you know absolutely like I would have done athletics you know growing up and tried to play a bit of everything played small bit of basketball and camogie and stuff like that and absolutely loved it like you know I would play every and any sport you can because like you'll always find like somebody random who's really good at some sport that you'd never have come across either. Like I remember there's a girl playing rugby with me now, Fiona Chute. She actually, she's playing with me in Old Belvedere and she's she's actually going out with Eric O'Sullivan, the Ulster rugby player. But she originally came from the FINA GA club that I'm now playing with. She was like an underage Irish shot putter. Like, and it's a really niche, random sport, but I think yeah. she just fell into it through athletics and school or something like that you know and you never know you're good at these things until you try them kind of thing and so I would be encouraging everybody to try and play as many sports as you can growing up and then obviously as time goes by you're going to have to try and focus on one or two and, or narrow it down and you'll find that people start to kind of favour one way or the other and you know for me I always favoured Gaelic football and soccer over camogie and athletics and all that and and that was the most enjoyable for me like so and that's the path I took but Hannah just, just uh, like you can't really under it like you're talking about your, your childhood there and about the lack of opportunities for, for young girls playing sport and the evolution of what's gone on to, to where we are now like you and, and and the success that say ladies football has had and particularly here I'm just thinking from a Dublin perspective in the city what the girls have done over the last four years and, and you see like I was down in, one of the only times I was down in my own club Bridget's in the last few weeks down with my niece uh, Pat Hurst <laughs> playing it. it's an under, nine, an under 10 camogie match and there's there's like there's a hundred nine and ten year old girls playing camogie there and the success that obviously the rugby team had winning six nations titles and things like that nearly it's trailblazers like that that's success and, and now where we're getting to where we're finally seeing women's sport on, on television we're seeing it covered in the media better you look at what the sponsorship has done for, for the ladies championship we're now you're going to the All-Ireland final and, and there's 50, 60,000 people there like you guys you and, and your teammates have been an absolute like inspiration to, to, to get the sport and women's sport like you say in every field to where it is now where young girls are going out and they have the chance to, to go and play soccer and go and play basketball and go and play in their local guy club and you see the numbers there. What what What's next? Do you feel there's always, you can always do more? Like, I, 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 Me, it's probably you, retirement. First, you're doing anymore. You're doing enough. I'm but, not going into that now. How do you get it to the next stage again to, to get even more girls playing sports and not just girls, all young people. Like it's, 
it's so it's such a massive part of development for young people. Like, yeah, look, I I think it's it's just keep doing what we're doing, keep putting women's sport alongside men's sport on TV, keep giving the, giving it the coverage it deserves, you know, and praising you know some incredible tries or goals or whatever else that you see scored, not just for being a good you know women's goal or women's try, but just mm-hmm. for being you know it being good sport to watch and stuff like that, and the more that we celebrate and see all that like sport, you know, more and more people are going to be encouraged to watch it, to go and attend it, to go and try it themselves. And it's just going to grow. And I think the LGFA have done a really good job on that over the last few years with their whole promotion of All-Ireland Final Day and putting the three finals on the same day and encouraging, Mm -hmm. you know, busloads of club and school kids to come down and watch it. And, you know, like... At the end of the day, we were just like those young guys and girls that come and watch us, you know, on All-Ireland Final Day. That was us. Like, I went to numerous All-Ireland Finals, you know, as a youngster um, playing along and wanted to be those people out on the pitch and emulate that. And I understand we are role models, you know, just by going out and playing. And I suppose you have that in the back of your head when you are playing and, and how you want to kind of conduct yourselves and stuff like that. And for me, it's about showing how good you know we can be and, and it's you know the skill on show is not just you know good for a girl I used to get that all the time when I was playing soccer as a young mm. people used to come up to me and be like she's pretty good, good. pretty good, good for a girl and I was like why do you have to say that like I'm good I'm, I'm just I'm still good I just yeah. you know and a few hefty challenges after those, but comments, you know. But, uh... <laughs> but I, I find it. I find it with my little girl. Like I, I coach the, the the little ones in in the club, you know. And I find it with my little my little girl, Charlotte. I I I'd say she'd be playing against the boys, and I I would still do that. You know, yeah. I would still do that. I would still go. Oh, she was good, even though she was playing against the boys. And I was yeah, like, like... I, I, I catch myself. I have to say, why am I saying that? You know, she was good because she's done the exact same training as the boys. Why wouldn't she be? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's a learned behavior. Like I yeah. think it is a learned behavior, and it's obviously based off past stereotypes and whatever else. But like, I, like all you have to do is look at say our game against Meads and on Ireland final day and the skill that was on show and the other two games that were going on there. Like, and the game has come on leaps and bounds and it's definitely on par with the men's game. Yeah, look, we maybe can't kick it as far or whatever else, but the skill is is just as good. You know? quality. The quality of the yeah. games this year have just been, like we were talking earlier on about um, maybe mismatches in the All-Ireland Championship that Paddy infamously said that he'd rather watch the Euros than Sligo Mayo earlier in the Championship. And uh, it, like, right. but, uh, it, it captured... <laughs> but it did, like, all we want to watch is competition, like. That's yeah. all people want to watch is, is two teams going at it competitively. And I think... You mentioned coaching earlier on. I think investment is a massive thing and and backing it up then with with smart coaching and and smart people involved in the games as well. It it will be interesting to see where it goes to next. Tommy, in the ladies game too, I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see a huge change in it because there's going to be certain rule changes that are going to come in that are going to make the game a lot better. Mm. Uh, Like Hannah was on there about the physicality of the game. It's gone way up. Uh, there's going to be huge there's like there's going to be huge kind of implications like Paddy was on about the in Gaelic football that all of a sudden now when there's a kick out there are men's Gaelic football the corner forwards have to be alive but when the the kick out used to be from the six yard box that wasn't the case so Mm -hmm. a little rule change makes a huge difference to the game and I think particularly around the tackle the ladies game is going to go up another level once they, they sort out the rule changes yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think physicality, you know, 
a big thing I'd say is what's changed over the last number of years in, in Lagos football and I can only account for for my dumb team and what I've seen but like it is that physicality and because of the gym work that we're doing like you know before it wasn't really a, a thing like you did a bit but it's not the same as you know what you, what you could have been doing like and even now I just look at some of the girls in the in the Dublin team and go she's I'm actually scared for how strong you're going to be when you actually get going on a like a proper gym program here you know and it's going to bring the game so much better but as Andy said there needs to be changes to go with that because what it's you too, don't want is a stop start game it's too dependent it's too dependent on the referee yeah that's it's it's ridiculous like it's too it dependent on whether you, you get yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's and that's that's nearly determines how quality or how much physicality there can be in the game, which is just. It's and ridiculous. the two t- the two tick rule, Tommy, used to be it was a good rule for the ladies' game three years ago. It's not a good rule anymore. Do you know there, there's certain instances where it should be nearly a straight yellow card in a bin. Or yeah. So when when I when when the game moves there, I think I think I I, I don't know where the. Um, I don't see a limit. I don't see a limit yeah. to the game. I think it's going to be it's going to be so huge. I, I was at the 2019 final. Um, it was it was or 20. Galway one. No, no, sorry, the 2017 final. I was there when when Dublin. Uh, Mayo. Ben, ben Mayo. Mayo. And it was two weeks after our own final. You know, so I went in and it was all friendly and the Dubs were having the crack and all of a sudden the game started going 10 minutes in it was a game of football it didn't matter if it was men or women on the pitch it was a game of football I was getting abused behind me I was like oh Jesus you know? so it was it was it like Mayo uh, up their old tricks again huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I that's what I love to see I, 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 it's a game now it's not a it's brilliant sport. sport it's a brilliant sport. sport it's a brilliant sport and I think the, the game this year both semi-finals and the final has brought it on to a new level yeah Anna, um, we've been speaking about your incredible sporting CV and it's a complete coincidence, but today is, is World Mental Health Day. Would it be okay if I asked you about your own story? Because I think some of our listeners would be aware of the phenomenal work you did around 2017 with the Tackle Your Feelings campaign and working with Pieta House as an ambassador. But while you were obsessed with sport as a teenager, you also had an incredibly difficult battle with your own mental health. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, look, um, I'm very open about it nowadays, I suppose. Um, yeah, as a young teenager, I suppose I never had a lot of confidence in myself um, and I felt like I wasn't good enough. I, I've always been very ambitious as a person and wanting to, you know, reach the highest pinnacle of everything. And sometimes I probably set the bar a little bit too high and then, you know, it was unattainable and I couldn't reach it and kind of felt like a bit of a failure and, as a young teenager, I ended up developing an eating disorder and um, and I felt like I, you know, if I could maybe lose a little bit of weight, you know, I might be a little bit better football player, might be a little bit better in school, I might be a better friend and might look a little better and, you know, things would start to fall into place and I might actually start to reach those, um, those goals I kind of set for myself and I, I also, I just started to have really negative thoughts about myself and um, I also began to self-harm and for me, like the self-harm was a bit of a way of punishing myself if I felt like I hadn't achieved those goals and those targets I'd set and I couldn't, I couldn't get away from all the negative thoughts and the feeling of wanting to hurt myself or punish myself after a bad day and I'd self-harm and I'd feel a little bit better and then afterwards I'd feel really um, ashamed about what I've done because while I didn't, like, you know, I was only 13 or 14 or even a bit younger when I started all of this, I didn't really understand it myself. I don't even know where I got the ideas from it, but they just became coping methods for me and 
I kind of struggled with throughout that my whole kind of teenage life and I kind of lived a bit of a double life in that, you know, I had these really negative thoughts. I started to um, stop going out with friends and family, stopped caring about, you know, my school grades and everything kind of focused on trying to lose weight and be a better footballer and all that sort of stuff. And then on the outside, I was really happy and bubbly and chatty and people hadn't a clue what was going on. You know, it was still... In school, I was still maybe a bit of a cheeky chappy and, you know, being able to give it back. And I was going out to sport and putting on a face and like people had no clue that I was really struggling on the inside. And I was really, really down and depressed and just not myself. Like, and um, I kept it to myself, I suppose, because of the stigma that's out there. And, you know, I was afraid that maybe I, that nobody out there could help me, you know, and it just began to spiral and, and I got worse and worse throughout the years, you know, until I was, you know, in my teen, my late teens, uh, finishing up school and I needed to get a bit of help and PA the house was where I went, you know, but for me, like sport, I was still playing Dublin um, underage through all this, but sport was like this calming relief for me. You know, I often didn't want to go train and I didn't want to go to matches and I was the last thing I wanted to do, but I always felt a bit of an obligation to my teammates you know, maybe if I wasn't playing with Dublin, I probably wouldn't have felt that as much. But uh, I always went out and I really enjoyed the training. I wasn't doing it to lose weight. I wasn't doing it for any other reason than it was a sport that I loved doing. And when I started getting a bit of help with PA the house and, and obviously family and friends figured out what was going on, it was mostly the friends I'd made through sport and, and through Dublin that were the ones that really helped me through my recovery, you know, and it, it took a couple of years, you know, it wasn't overnight. Um, and it took me a lot of um, graft, I suppose, to be, have that confidence to reach out and ask for help and tell people I wasn't feeling well and stuff like that. But over time, you know, gradually I began to get a little bit better day by day and to the point where I was able to say that I was fully recovered and, it was a long road, um, but I'm just so grateful to have come out the other side of it and still have um, and still live an incredible life and, and, you know, continue to do that. You know, there's loads more to come, but uh, it, it was a really challenging time and sport and the people I met through sport were were a massive, massive Sorry, help to me. Sorry, could you say that again? Hmm. Sorry, my watch is talking to me there. There's Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. There's my but, theory. Um, Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Look, just a, a really, really challenging time. But fortunately, you know, I came out the other side. And for me, growing up, I, there was never any talk of World Mental Health Day or yeah. Well Being Week or you know any of that kind of stuff. Nobody coming into school and and chatting about mental health or anything like that and or resilience. And so, for me, when I was asked to share my story a couple of years ago. I was a bit hesitant at first, but I realized the potential it could have and how many people it, it potentially might help and encourage to to reach out and ask for their own help. And 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 so I did it. And it's it's genuinely been one of the best things I've ever done. It's very therapeutic for me to tell my story, but also the amount of people that have reached out to me and, and thanked me for sharing their story because it gave them that little bit of encouragement to to ask for help themselves and get the help that that they deserve, you know, because most people think they don't deserve that help. But they do. We we spoke about role models a little earlier on in sports and I suppose visibility and people like yourself have given voice to some of these horrendous illnesses and 
for people, I'm sure there's many people could be at home listening, struggling with something going on in their lives. You spoke there about the coping mechanisms that you had, which which were self-harm and the destructive manner that you tried to cope with what was going on in your head, I suppose, and with the eating disorder. I know it's not an easy question to answer, but how did you break that? How how do you like how do you break that? There's no one right answer, but for me it was just a bit of willpower. Like so there was a few times where I tried to take my own life and you know, thankfully looking back, that didn't happen. And I kind of got to a point where I'd lost all hope and desire to do anything. You know, I couldn't even take my own life properly and I felt like such a failure. And I kind of said to myself one day, do you know what? You've tried everything else, so why don't you just really go hell for leather with recovery and no matter how difficult it is, stick with it and try your best and whatever else. And I said to myself, every time that you feel like uh, self-harming or any time you feel like you're going to make yourself sick, you're going to bring a friend or you're going to text a friend or you're going to go off and get yourself out of that place to a point where it's near physically impossible to hurt yourself or do that negative coping method. And I forced myself to do it every single time. And sometimes that meant, you know, calling friends in the middle of the night um, or just going over and hanging with somebody and, there were times I didn't and I failed and I self-harmed and I, you know, did things that I, I'm not proud of. And it sometimes was a case of two steps forward, one step back. But eventually I started to actually have a bit of hope that recovery was possible, you know, that that I could actually get help. And part of me started to believe that I deserved a better life than the one I was living. And the hope was the biggest factor for me. It made me want to continue on because I never had that hope or hadn't had that hope for a very, very long time. You know, I felt very down and just not wanting to carry on or I didn't feel like life was worth living for a good few years before then. And when that hope came and there was a bit of belief and I started to love myself, I suppose, a little bit more. That's when things really started to change. And I grabbed it with both hands and, and went with it. And as I said, it wasn't always perfect. There were definitely bad days and days where I self-harmed again and stuff like that. But I eventually got to a point where I didn't feel the need to, to, you know, restrict my food or make myself sick. And I got to a point where I didn't have the urge to self-harm even after, you know, maybe I've had a bad day or I didn't hit the targets. I did. I had to change my mindset a little bit and set more realistic goals. That was a huge thing because obviously I couldn't continue to keep failing all my life. So I lowered my, my ambitions a little bit and started to hit targets. And then I aimed higher again, you know, just did it a little bit shorter steps, I suppose. It's just, even listening, it's incredible bravery, obviously, to talk about that because it's such a difficult thing and such a difficult time to kind of revisit. But we were touching on your sporting prowess and the kind of inspirational role you and your teammates have played in the development of, of, ladies and girls sport but that story and, and on the men's side we've done, done a bit of work with PA the house as well and that's another huge development over the last kind of kind of decade I'd say and it's because of, of stories like your own and being brave enough to come out and talk about it and I think that the, the key message there as well you know just going and talking to people talking to, to friends talking to family it can be so hard particularly as, as teenagers and stuff like that and you see it with, with young people today, you know, you know, coaching and, and things like that, and you see younger teams and, and players who they maybe just go away and they don't play sport anymore, and you never really know the, the background behind it. But that's 
message, I think, for, for, from you, just to be able, no matter how low you might feel or the challenges you feel, everything's getting on top of you. Being able to talk to someone, whether it's your coaches, whether it's your teachers, whether it's your friends, your parents, whoever it is, just speaking about it, you'd be amazed how many people actually have your back. You yeah, know. absolutely. Like, you know. I, I definitely think it's that. I, I always go back to the uh, Jigsaw Charity have their their whole um, slogan is if find one good adult, you know, that you feel like you can talk to and tell them and stuff like that. And as you said, it could be an aunt, it could be an uncle, it could be parents, you know, teachers, colleagues, whatever it is. Kind of just find that one person that you feel like you can trust and they'll have your back and can listen and stuff like that and point you in the right directions. Um, and I think a big thing is people when they're suffering, we all suffer with our mental health. We all have good days, bad days, you know, ups and downs. Some some go on a little bit longer than others, but it, it's how we how we cope with that and how we deal with that. And that, you know, it either becomes a one day thing or if we don't cope well, it becomes a much longer and much bigger problem. But we don't realize that more people have our back, you know, that, like for me, when I was really struggling to talk about it, I was so afraid of, you know, people thinking I was mad and like a psycho <laughs> and all this for self-harm and particularly when not much was known about it. Yeah. But actually when I, when I, I ended up in an inpatient patient uh, facility for a while and the amount of my friends, families, teachers, people I hadn't seen in years came to visit was absolutely incredible. And I, I couldn't believe the support I was getting, you know, and it was just so heartwarming and it was such a confidence booster to me. Like the people did care and, you know, people yeah. would be sad if I wasn't here. And it, it really, really helped me, particularly on those hard days that people did want me around and, everybody has those people they might not know it but they do like mm-hmm. and there's always somebody out there willing to listen willing to help you know and, and willing to do whatever they can to help you get out of that dark place that you're in and uh, thanks thanks a million for sharing that that was unreal mm-hmm. um, I seen you I met you for the very first time I think before the All-Ireland Ladies final in Nafina. And I was blown away by it. Like, I was impressed. I only really started reading about this story when we knew we were getting on the pod. And, like, I came away from there saying, Joe, wow, what an impressive character, the way you kind of ran the day. We were running around doing a bit of coaching. Hannah was dictating where we were going and pointing and telling me what to do, like all good women do. But they, they, um, yeah, so like we were kind of, but I came away from that thinking you stood in front of a crowd, you, you talk to people, your voice is clear, hugely impressive. To get from where you're just after describing to that person, that's an amazing journey. And um, I don't know if I'm asking you a question here or I'm giving you a compliment, but. I, I just I find that really really fascinating. Like, is there anything there that, Joe? You're a young person now. As Paddy said, you're listening to this. An, an elite athlete over multiple disciplines is describing this. I think most of this is understanding that you're not the only one that's feeling feeling these feelings, oh, and, and to see you kind of that day without knowing this backstory. Um, and, and to now know where you went to is just is incredible. So well done, I, I suppose I'm saying. And um, no, it's usually usually impressive and amazing to think a person that I've achieved what you've achieved can get from there to where you are now. Do you know? Yeah, thanks. Look, obviously, I'm immensely proud of myself for having overcome that. And I, I would definitely say to you know people who are struggling now that 
as I said, reach out. There are people out there willing to help you and support you. And the other thing for me would be to, that I would say is find something that you love doing and never stop doing it. Because for me, particularly when you're in a really dark place, you don't want to do anything and you tend to give up the stuff that you love and then that makes things even worse, you know? And for me, I was so, so glad that I never gave up playing sport. Like it, it genuinely saved me. You know, it, it changed my life in that not only did I um, make some incredible friends out of that, I met my wife through sport, um, you know, and but they were the ones who saved my life. And if I hadn't have gone there to sport all those times, like who knows what I've made here today, you know. And so whether it's sport, whether it's dancing, playing music, you know, whatever your hobby is, drawn and all that sort of stuff, like find something and stick with that and don't ever give it up. And then also find somebody that you can turn to and, and, you know, kind of someone that has your back and can help you. And it'll do you the world of good. Um, and, you know, it helped me and hopefully it'll, it'll help anybody else who's struggling, you know, no matter how big or small their problems are. The, the One of the other things, you spoke about COVID delaying the World Cup and how that kicked you back. It also delayed your wedding back to this summer yeah. too. So like it it, it did, like you, you did have that moment as well, but it, it was delayed obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was mad. So we got engaged in January 2020. So like prior to COVID being hit and before even kind of COVID was mentioned proper, like we had set a date for April 2021 and as the months went by, like, you know, we were in the summer and people were cancelling their weddings and stuff. We were like, ah, no, by April, be grand, be grand. And then September, I ah, no, by April, be grand. Like, you know, and kind of Christmas then we were like, oh, might, mightn't be grand. <laughs> so we kind of pulled the plug in January or so. And then we, we didn't really set a date for when we'd do it yet, but we knew we kind of wanted to, in the nice way possible, get it over and done with. Like, you know, so we were like, we'll do it at some point this year. And um, we pushed it back again. Rugby played a part. Like we were meant to be leaving for the World Cup end of August. So we were like, right, we better get it done near enough start of August so we can still enjoy ourselves a little bit and, you know, have a, a weekend off at least before we hopefully fly out to the World Cup. And so we set it for August the 11th instead of the a- April the 9th. And it, it worked out brilliantly in some ways in that April 10th, we ended up playing our first game of the Six Nations. Um, You know, I wouldn't have been playing that had I been married that weekend. And that was a great win and um, a really nice start to the Six Nations. And then we set our wedding for midweek of August the 11th because August 14th was down to be like a friendly game, I think it was, for the Irish rugby team before we flew off somewhere. And I was like, oh yeah, be grand, I can miss that friendly and then turns out the All Ireland semi finals that weekend, and I had to say to Mick, like, Or it always gets in the way, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, a circuit, my wife was like, Are you kidding me? Like, I can't get away from sport and everything else. And uh, I, I got the Tuesday night off training, got married on the Wednesday, and then was back training on the Thursday for the game on the Saturday. I played the Mick so, for giving you a night after. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you ended up player of the match then that night on the Sunday as well, so it didn't do you any harm. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, ah, uh, look. I think, it, yeah, I don't know. That was a sympathy player of the match or something. I have no idea. Like, ah, no. I didn't really care at that point. We were into an all final. Yeah. We got married finally. And, 
Good, good, good week, good week. Yeah, it was a really good week, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It was mad, but it, I'm still waiting for my invite to Paddy Stag this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I have you in, Andy. You're too busy. You're doing. You're watching the Leitrim County final. <laughs> Andy's either doing a media gig or something to do with Leitrim. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, you've been incredible with your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like it, just remarkable learning about your, your sporting career and, and how you've battled back from your mental health issues when you were a, a younger, a teenager as well. If I could ask you for one thing that you, you've taken from sport in terms of the transferable skills from soccer to rugby to GA, what, what would it be? Footwork, I'd say. It, it's helped me in every single aspect. Like I think for most Gaelic players, footwork comes quite naturally and that was a huge help for me in rugby, like that stepping and stuff like that. But I think I all got that from kind of the fast feet and the dribbling skills of, of soccer initially. So for me, footwork has been something that's got me out of trouble uh, on more than one occasion on and off the pitch. So uh, I go with that one. <laughs> we can relate to that. We all can. <laughs> we can all relate to that. <laughs> got to be sharp around town. Yeah. <laughs> I live on the north side now, so I definitely yeah, do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our side, Hannah. <laughs> Hannah Terrell, thanks very much. Thanks, thanks for being here, Hannah. That was Thank dead. You know. Looking forward to next year. That was just incredible. Hannah Tyrrell joined us on episode 23 of the Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. Folks, I hope everyone listening at home enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, unbelievable hearing Hannah's story there from, I suppose, the two parts of it, her, the battle that she had and also the, the sports career that she's put together. It is just so impressive. And Andy, good shout we sat down together and we were, we were talking about who we'd like to get on the pod over the next eight or 10 weeks. And you had Hannah's name in there straight away. You mentioned that you came across her at a, a gig before the All-Ireland final. Yeah, she was just so, she was so impressive. We did um, a gig in the FINA football club, um, myself, Patrick Corrigan and herself in, um, and she was running the whole event and she was just so crisp and clean and, spoke so well I was kind of quizzing her about her other sports and sort of this and I just was like wow this is amazing you know so it, it was one that stood out to me didn't know the backstory at all uh, until this week until we, we knew we, she, she was joining us on the pod and just an amazing story I think if there's parents coaches people listening to that I think that'd be well worth somebody just grabbing that and giving it to a 15, 16-year-old kid and just saying, maybe take a listen to this and let's see what's what's going on and read up on her backstory and show show the kids of Ireland that the, the, there is a way here to, to, to get through things, you know? That's yeah. it. Just, just powerful stuff that... And it, 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 it probably is more common than you think that here, here's a woman who's gone on to reach the pinnacle of the three biggest sports in our country. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible an incredible story that's an incredible story alone but when when Hannah's talking about how she felt during you know her teenage years and the challenge she was facing it just like resilience is one of the just jumps out that no matter what she was able to come through and, and, and achieve what she's done now and still going and, and like listening to that man young Andrew there as well it's just the, the passion for the game you can see or quote like they lost the All Ireland final and, and you know I'm watching as, as a supporter and, and good for the girls coming up short and she's there I'll, I'll train tomorrow to get ready for next year's All Ireland so, so still have that passion for the game just look at that lads 
what a guest. She was yeah. top class, a, a brilliant story, so many lessons for, for everyone, sporting and, and and just life, not every everyday life. So yeah. brilliant to have her on, yeah. Yeah, no. Privilege to listen to her there for the last hour and to spend time in her company. And even with you throwing a few digs in about me. Like, I yeah. can't help it, eh? Look at her stride. Like tw- it is. I'm cast 23, Patrick, and we still haven't told him. So we're, we're trying, we're trying to educate the young fella. He's not listening, Paddy. I don't know. We're on the home stretch, Andrew. We're on the home stretch. <laughs> I don't really know much more you can really do with ever. Boys. <laughs> well, the, the one of the... Bad with Paddy and Jenny. <laughs> Can we go to can we go to bed now, Tom? I, I think I think we will leave it there. So everyone listening in, please do share the pod this week. It's a it's a it's a powerful episode with, with Hannah Terrell. Subscribe if you're listening in and uh don't mind what Paddy and Andy are saying here. We've got seven or eight more brilliant episodes planned before Christmas and we'll see what happens in 2020. Go easy we'll on me next happens. week, lads. Have a big weekend in Spain now coming up. Hey, well, your old we'll buddy Rory Gallagher. Next Monday evening <laughs> we're recording. Rory Gallagher's not going on the stag, is he? hydrated and I'll be shook. Okay. So are we, we telling the listeners? Are we telling the listeners? Paddy stag is next week and he's recording it live from Marbella. Yeah, we need to get a Zoom when he's away on one of these trips. Uh, don't worry, we'll be getting, we'll be getting FaceTime calls at one in the morning. Imagine you know guests, guest presenter next week. Yeah. Me, myself, and the wolf fan. That's a, the, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's other image. Nobody wants to see that, Andrew. Right, <laughs> lads, thanks a million. Episode 23 of the Football Pod. Really? That's us done. Hannah Tiro was our special guest this week. Thanks very much, Hannah, for joining us. Thank you very much for listening to us this week. Rory Gallagher is our special guest next week on the Football Pod. I'm looking forward to that. He's a man with history. Rory's there for Paddy Andrews. Yes. (laughs) I told him, I told him that it was Paddy Andrews (laughs) co-host and we had a good laugh. So here we go. (laughs) Looking forward to Rory Gallagher next week and uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, lads. Well done, lads. See you soon. Bye, lads.